you know, points, turning points in our history that shows that we, in reality, throughout the years, have not grown in unity, but sadly, we are growing in disunity. And I am afraid that sometimes when we are talking about unity in diversity, what we are actually emphasizing is not unity, but is diversity. We must be more diverse, 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 and I think that that's not the real goal. The real goal is the unity of the church. Okay, so we will, let me see if this is moving. Yes, going to the Adventist journey from unity to division. This is the second presentation. So we have to go now to the beginning of our experience. Uh, sorry about that. There is <laughs> an error. I just saw it today, but the slides were in. So it's not 1945 our beginnings. Our beginnings are in 1844, 1845. So now we are going to go back in time to 1844, 1845 to 1888. There was what I call the discovering of the Adventist vision, which is centered in what the pioneers call the pillars of Adventism, which I suggest were the ground of the unity and the foundation of the Adventist church. Um, there is a quotation of Ellen G. White that she is reflecting on the origin of Adventism from the perspective of about 44 years of experience in times of the well-known 1888 General Conference meetings. And she said, as a people, we are to stand firm on the platform of eternal truth that has withstood test and trial. We are to hold to the sure pillars of our faith. The principles of truth that God has revealed to us are our only true foundation. They have made us what we are. The lapse of time has not lessened their value. So clearly there was a time of upheaval in 1888, but going back to the origination of the church, she is calling attention to the pillars of the church. Now, what are those pillars? Well, when you see Adventists talking about the pillars, there are a lot of different lists of pillars that we are given. The, some of them include energy uh, White, gift of prophecy. Others include justification by faith. I go to the statement that Ellen G. White made in 1889, reflecting on 1888 regarding the pillars, because at that time many of the brethren were saying that what was happening in 1888 was to remove the pillars, and so she kind of went back in her memory to the pillars, and she was able to recall only this as the pillars. The pillars were, according to her, the sanctuary, the three angels' messages, the law, the Sabbath, and the non-immortality of the soul. So basically for us these days, we call them doctrines, right? These are the doctrines. But there is a major difference between doctors and pillars. They are doctrines, but they are the pillars in the sense that they support an entire edifice that is coherent and prepared for the life and the mission of the church. But there is something more that she had to say regarding the pillars. And that has to do with the following statement that appears in uh, the Great Controversy, page 423. The subject of the sanctuary, and look at this, she is kind of focusing on one particular pillar there, is the sanctuary was what? The key which unlocked the mystery of the disappointment of 1844. Okay, it was good for them. What about us? Next statement. It opened to view a complete system of truth, connected and harmonious. 
showing that God's hand had directed the great Advent movement and revealing present duty as it brought to light the position and work of his people. So, I suggest to you that this is the key of the unity, not only the key of the unity, this was the key of the formation of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. If this hadn't happened, this church would not have existed. Let me continue here. Well, this is not moving. Now we go. So, there is another quotation that comes from the beginnings of their experience. This is an actual quotation that Ellen G. Huart wrote in 1850. This is five years after their disappointment. And there is a very short statement there. She says, we know that we have the truth. And what was the truth that they had? This complete system, they saw it in the broad strokes and impacted them. And so she goes then to say, Brother Rhodes has now gone in company with Brother John Andrews to the eastern part of the state to hunt up the scattered sheep. We have received two letters from them God is at work and is bringing souls from the rubbish to the clear light of truth. Arthur White, in his biography of Ellen G. White, kind of elaborates in, in this point, and it says that they didn't have anything to do until they were able to put all this truth together. Once they had this truth together, they initiated the mission of the church. So please have this in mind. It began with the disappointment. The disappointment brought them to reflection. They went back to reflect in the Bible. In the Bible, they discovered the hermeneutical principle which was the sanctuary. Then they applied this to all the truth that they had. They discovered a system, and then after they had this truth, they go into mission. And only after they have gone into mission, in order to be able to articulate and to prosper the mission, they had to face the issue of organization, and then the church was grounded. You see, our church is coming into existence because of a theological discovery of monumental proportions. I think that they didn't even understood back then, the richness and the importance of the theological discovery that they made, and certainly we are completely oblivious about that these days, according to the history that I am about to share with you. So, the disappointment and Sola Scriptura led to the first discovery establishing of the pillars of the Adventist, of Adventism, which in order for me to refer to them Quickly, I call them the vision. The vision are all these pillars that I enumerated there that all together allow us to see the rest of the system. And so that is what I call the vision. Now, the pillars of the discovery, which is the point now, uh, second, the discovery of an harmonious and complete system of theology and philosophy. I submit to you that I, in my experience, did not have any understanding, even after studying theology, of the existence of a complete and harmonious uh, system of theology and philosophy in Adventism. I have been working at that and trying to discover it, and the more I go into applying these pillars to the work of the study of the Bible and Christian theology, the more that I discover this full and completely harmonious uh, system of theology and also philosophy. Remember that I had to study philosophy, and I explained how I kind of stumbled into that without planning to go into it. That allows me to see only also how in Scripture there is a complete system of philosophy. So, vision, 
hermeneutical principles and system, the entire system of doctrines of the Adventist Church led to the mission to share the pillars and the system with the world, the worldwide uh, mission. And the vision, the system, and the mission all together led to the formation of a new church which required organization for the sake of her mission. The global advancement of mission required the organization of institutions. And they had some problems with that, but they were able to move. Okay, well, that went, went too far. If we were to present a visual diagram of that, at the bottom of the conviction of the pioneers were was the sola tota prima scriptura principle which they inherited from the Protestant Reformation. We are going to talk about that tomorrow. Then on top of that, to build the edifice of the church, we have the pillars of Adventism, Sabbath, laws, sanctuary, non-immortality of the soul, and the three angels' messages. Then on top of that, we have the system of truth connected and harmonious. And on top of that is the existence of the church and her mission, and if the church and her mission works on these foundations, unity will come because there will be a unity of foundations, a unity of principles and vision, a unity and coherence in the system of truth. And then the church will go out united with the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Now, another diagram, the disappointment and the Sola Scriptura experience of the Advent movement led to the discovery of the pillars of Adventism, or the vision of the church. Those pillars led to the, led, I mean, were the cause of. This is a cause and effect experience. The disappointment Sola Scriptura causes the pillars, the pillars cause causes the existence of the, and the discovery of the complete harmonious system of theology and philosophy that causes the mission of the church and the sharing of the pillars and the systems with the world. And that sharing causes, requires the origination, the organization of a new church. So you see, our new church came as a result of the discovery of hermeneutical principles, a system of theology that put together all the doctrines of the Bible, and from the beauty and power of that understanding, mission developed. The failure of our church today is that we want to do mission without this experience. And without this experience, we cannot have the full power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit is trying for us to go back to the Bible and to discover that because this is the road with the Spirit needs to be given in power to the church. So it's not going to come only the Holy Spirit, the latter rain, by praying, but by studying the Bible and study the Bible by ourselves. Okay, so now we move to another uh, element, Minneapolis. A brief reference to Minneapolis. Uh, look at what Ellen G. White says was the cause behind Minneapolis. I am not going to discuss things that are common knowledge for us. That's not the issue. Justification by faith was presented, but was not the issue. She says, it has been shown me that there are many of our ministers who take things for granted and know not for themselves by close critical study of the scriptures whether they are believing truth or error. <laughs> Forty years. Second generation of leaders. More on that. She says, there is a most wonderful laziness that is indulged in by a large class of our ministers who are, will, who are willing others should search the Scripture for them. And they take the truth from their lips as a positive fact but they do not know it to be Bible truth through their own individual research and by the deep convictions of the Spirit of God upon their hearts and minds. So 
a wonderful laziness. In Minneapolis, God gave precious gems of truth to his people in new settings. This life from heaven by some was rejected with all the stubbornness of the Jews manifested in rejecting Christ. And there was much talk about standing by the old marks, the pillars, but there was evidence they knew not what the old marks were. Besides, some of them had decided it was a dangerous error what was being presented in the, in, in the conference there, because that justification by faith was removing the old landmarks when it was not moving a peg of the old landmarks, but they had perverted ideas of what constituted the old landmarks. So you see what was happening in, in Minneapolis was that they were already forgetting the vision of the church that has formed this new organization and they were trying to do ministry and even understand new truth without the vision. This is the real problem of Adventism, the second generation. People that are baptized through our evangelistic meetings, they come with fire into the church. Why? Because we taught them the pillars. Our kids, that they come through the educational institution, they don't have that. Why? Because we don't teach them the pillars, nor do we teach them the complete system of truth, because we don't have it. How in the world we can expect that they are going to be converted? They are just cultural Adventists. And then they just go and pick whatever they read or they see, and there is no power in them. And there is no power in the church, and then... This is the key for divisions in the church. Minneapolis revealed a second generation syndrome. Pillars were not changed, but they were implicitly neglected. Justification by faith was not a pillar. A new generation of leaders, second generation, did not know what the pillars were. There was a wonderful laziness of Bible students among the leadership. We're talking here, general conference one day. This was not just a church back there, you know, in the North uh, or South America. I mean, these were the leadership of the church. Tradition then was replacing Scripture by default. If we come to church and we don't study the Bible, <laughs> what do we allow to enter into our minds and then into our Christian lives and into our teaching? What we read from other people, that's what is happening that's tradition. Tradition was replacing a scripture by default. Now, let's continue and move to a conclusion here. The movement from Bible to culture is the second generation syndrome. It's the forgetting of the pillars in 1888. Emphasis on justification by faith. Justification begins an ascendancy in our church that will end in replacing the sanctuary as a pillar. They did not know the pillars. They were not talking about that. Only the old folks knew about that. New generation comes, find this, preaching on justification by faith. They only see, read, and preach about justification by faith. Little by little, justification by faith began to be known to them and then to be used as the vision, which was not the vision that gave the origin to our church. I know that some of you, probably not here at the sanctuary, believe what I am saying, and you are actually experienced Adventism from these perspectives that I am presenting. My appeal to you is wake up, go to the Bible, don't be lazy, your salvation depends on it. I am going to make that point clearer, why you need to actually make sense of the Bible on your own. And that has to do with justification by faith. But this is not my point now. So, now, very close after this situation, and in the context of forgetting the pillars, there is something that presented itself to the church, and that's the pantheistic challenge to the church. Of course, this presentation today will make much more sense if you are familiar with the Adventist history. I have no time to actually give you all the content, context of what those things were. But basically here, there were a few people that began to understand God in a pantheistic way. We, 
which basically means that God is in the world and infuses from within the entire world, and that was being accepted and embraced at the level of the general conference. Read that. If this kind of thought would have been accepted by the general conference, Seventh-day Adventism would have ceased to exist. Ellen G. White saw that. And through miraculous intervention of God, sending specific and timed message to Ellen G. White, this danger, the iceberg, was met and Adventism was saved, literally. Why? The enemy of soul has sought to bring in the supposition that a great reformation was to take place among Seventh-day Adventists wrote Ellen G. White, and that this reformation would consist in giving up the doctrines which stands as the pillars of our faith and engaging in a process of reorganization. She saw it. We cannot be Adventists without the pillars. And what was the uh, problem of uh, pan, uh, pantheism? The problem was that it was going to replace the pillars. So you see, the pillars can be forgotten, but then you need pillars, so you have to replace them. So keep that in mind, because you have pillars, and I have pillars. But are those the pillars of the Bible, or are pillars that are snuck into your experience because of laziness? So basically, this was, I'm sorry, I forgot to move, there you go. This is basically the pillars diagram of Adventism. What did the uh, panentheistic uh, challenge perform? Well, basically, it denied all this, and it replaced that with tradition at the bottom, not sola scriptura, but tradition, philosophy, science. Then the pillars disappear, and the panentheistic presupposition came in. And then the system of theology is now a system of philosophy, science, and culture, and the church mission now is completely different, ecumenism and traditions. This was aborted by God through the ministry of Ellen G. White. Now the old pillars begin to be perceived in a different way. From 1905 to 1957, during this period, Ellen G. White authority reached its highest level in the denomination even to the point of replacing scripture in the practice of ministry, probably due to her decisive role in aborting the panentheistic takeover of the church. Although officially the pillars of formative pioneers, I mean those back in 1944-1850, remain unmodified in, uh, you know, in the writing of the church, a dissonance began to permeate Adventism. Officially, traditional pillars are affirmed, at least as doctrines. In practice, the evangelical interpretation of justification by faith was slowly emerging as the sole pillar of Adventism. Prescott, Daniel, and Andreas, and their part of this. And then we come to 1957. A lot of things happened there that kind of built into some climax points, turn points. And question and doctrines are very much discussed uh, book among Adventists, which by the way uh, was written a little bit uh, before I began studying theology and we had this book as a textbook in some of my courses of theology, systematic theology, we read this book. Particularly I think that there are no uh, uh, heresies, and there are people that think that there are heresies there, there is a discussion. I am not going here because of that, okay? I am going here because when you go to this book, in the introduction, you find that the writers of this uh, book, they list all the doctrines. Remember, they wanted the uh, evangelicals to consider us not to be a sect. <laughs> I cannot relate with them. Remember that I was a sect back then? I became an Adventist as a member of the sect. And I was just the 
you know, you are the sick. Okay, yeah, I am the sick. And you are going to, you know, to be lost because you think that. You need to know this, otherwise you will be lost. My reaction. Of course, this is not as black and white. You know, th there are other elements. People can be saved be th being there if they actually are responding to what the Spirit tells them in the churches which they are. That's a one-on-one understanding of Adventism. It always was so. I am talking here about the visible church. And the visible church is not perfect. By the way, as there are a lot of people out there that are going to be saved outside of the Adventist church, there is a lot of people inside the church that are going to be lost. You understand that? This is not preached these days. I preach to my church these things. Because this is, otherwise, the blood of the people will be on me. Ezekiel 18. You understand this? So, but they were trying to be accepted. And then they say, you see, we have doctrines that we have in common with everyone. God, Trinity, salvation, and so forth, the gospel. In common with some Christian. By the way, these are Christians, so this include the Roman Catholic Church. I think that they didn't think that. That they should have said, you know, evangelical Christians. Maybe they didn't consider the Catholic Christian, but they are Christians. And so, God, Trinity, salvation, gospel. In common with some Christians, immortality of the soul, tithing, prophetic interpretation, Adventist distinctive doctrines, sanctuary. Three angel messages, gift of prophecy. What happened here? Before our eyes. The pillars of the Adventism, they are now just distinctive doctrines. They are not pillars for the church. They are not pillars for the church now. I was not taught in these pillars. I could go in my experience when I was studying theology and so forth. I came to understand this issue as I was going to try to interpret why are there so many divisions in my church. And finally, this is my conclusion. All the divisions are tracked back to this displacement of the foundation. So the division that we have is very deep, exists from the very foundations of our faith. And all of us have to be cleansed through prayer and Bible study of those ideas in order to be able to put the glasses of these pillars of Adventism, which are basically the pillars of the Bible. They are pillars of Adventism only because they discovered them and we call them that way. But this is not something that Ellen G. White received through a revelation from God. This is something that we find as very clear teachings of the Bible. So now, Adventists hold in common with evangelicals the eternal verities, way of salvation, doctrine of God, trinity, sin, church. That's why my professor of systematic theology said you can go to the book of the evangelicals and take all these things from them because they are basing their beliefs in the Bible and they are not basing them on tradition like the Catholics. But then, reason a little bit, please. There are persons in our church that they believe that we are not the remnant church. And I can understand them. Why? Because if I believe that the evangelicals are right and biblical in the way they think, the eternal verities, the gospel, salvation, doctrine of God, trinity, sin, and church... Why in the world should I be claiming that I am the only true church if the only difference that exists with the rest of the evangelicals are three doctrines which are only distinctives that distinguish me with you as evangelicals? But salvation is the same. <laughs> if they are going to be saved and they have the eternal verities. Can you claim to be the only true church? I couldn't. If that will be real, if this point on question and doctrines is true, but this point is not true, is wrong. 
And it induced me to accept it. I don't have time to share all my experiences with you. But I accepted this. I was building on that. I was teaching on that. And then it came a point of reflection when I began to go to the Bible and check what I was teaching. And then I found that I was teaching against the Bible. And I, when I found myself following the evangelicals, teaching what I found in their books, and then going to the Bible and finding that that was not so, that's when I began to turn around and to have to go and build my beliefs from scratch. So those are identifying marks. Pillars lost their methodological role. Adventists are Christians with a special badge that identifies them among Christians. Pillars become a badge. There is no need to accept the badge to Christians and be saved. By default, then, justification by faith interpreted as Luther becomes the hermeneutical principle of Adventism. The Adventist vision was changing. Sorry. Then there is another issue. I will not enter and read everything in here for the sake of time. But there was another thing that happened to Adventism a little bit or in the same amount of time uh, that this issue of questions and doctrines came about. Now, question and doctrine reveal a conviction that was brewing in Adventists from years. It is not that three or four people came, wrote this book, and hey, everybody that was going in the right way, now they, I'm sorry, yeah, that were going in the right way, now they are going in the wrong way. No, the, these things are going progressively throughout many generations. But then Adventists, remember who were the Adventists that discovered this system? They were lay people. They didn't come from the seminaries. They were no professor of theology, no doctorate, no PhD, no nothing. You know why? Because those trains and the seminary, they receive the vision coming from philosophy and not from the Bible. And so they could not see, they would not have ever seen this because they had that already planted in their mind. And that's why God had to go to people that didn't have any training. And it comes from one that <laughs> have been training and have been trained for a long time. But what saved me was one conviction. First, my father, you could have been a Buddhist monk. So I had to go and do this on my own. So I began to be very critical of my own and everything that I read. The only thing that I am not critical about is the Bible and Ellen G. White writings. Those are revelations from God. I don't doubt those. I just accept them by faith. That's a decision that I took. And that's the decision that has given me the opportunity to recast what I thought. Now, this is just, oh, well, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't uh, put this slide there. Uh, this is just, you can see it later, uh, it's a history of Adventism coming into the university. From being a lay movement today, uh, at least in 2015, we have 120 universities in the world. And the universities shape our leaders. And the universities are the place we call, where culture is transmitted from one generation to the other. So in reality, if on one hand we have lost the vision of Adventism and it has been replaced with the vision coming from the evangelicals and we are moving into the universities, the capability to integrate a lot of things that are not biblical and to sideline Ellen G. White, it just appears as logical because of the way in which each one thinks, provided that also these universities form the leaders. Where are our leaders coming and preaching to us? Who formed them? Who formed me? Or the pastors in a college or a university? 
And in the college and the university, those things are transmitted from one generation to the other in the context of this denominational history. Within this new... Uh, what is the point of going to the, um, to the universities? Well, when you go to the universities, you have to study what others believe. Not just what you believe. If I have to make a dissertation in PhD studies in systematic theology, I have to study all the other things that these other people have said about the doctrine of God. So I have to read Thomas Aquinas, Augustine, you know, Calvin, whatever. But those things are not taught in Sabbath school, are they? And these guys are working with philosophical ideas, which are not taught in Sabbath school. So all these guys, which were my professors or the professors who became my professors, had to go where? To the universities. And the universities, they had to lead with all these issues that challenge, challenge what we believe. And so they have to either accept them or reject them. They were not well prepared, many of them, and so they began to mix things that came from where they were studying. And this is not conspiracy. There is no Jesuitic conspiracy in here. Maybe the Jesuits created some of the ideas that are there in the university, but this is their privilege. And we were there, and we faced these questions, and even to the present day, when we are not able to actually stand on our own from biblical arguments, the tendency is to accept those ideas that we cannot refute and integrate them into our own experience, uh, religious and uh, educational, and pass them along to the next generation. You see, that's why we all should study the Bible and be critical. And that applies to me, whatever I am exposing to you should not be accepted. Ellen G. White said so. I just wrote something here that she said, you have to go where? To the Bible and understand the Bible and judge everything that you receive from the Bible. That's the way you are going to grow. That's the way you are going to be saved. Understanding and practicing. Understanding and practicing. Well, Adventist Forum was a group of people that they apply critical thinking, learn at those places. That is, at the universities of, and so these places of studies at the university, which was prevalent at the time in 1960s, to the Adventist church belief and practices. They then uh, created a magazine. There are several magazines, Spectrum magazine. That was established to encourage, this is what they say that they are doing. I mean, I am quoting from their um, uh, webpage. Uh, the spectrum was established to encourage Seventh-day Adventist participation in the discussion of contemporary issues from a Christian viewpoint. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you can do that. But that's not Adventism, because Christian viewpoint means I you're a Christian, what do you believe? Okay, I take your viewpoint, then I judge my church. Well, if you are going to do that, you already chose your, you know, your loyalty. You are loyal to what the others teach, and the others clearly are not coming from the sola scriptura. And therefore, you want to enter those things into the church, and that's what they are doing, actually. They think that we all are wrong and that we should begin to reject even the existence of the pillars. The interpretation of prophecy, the sanctuary, all things gone. Okay. So, uh, oh, I was reading there and I didn't advance. Okay. Then it comes the evangelical turn. The evangelical turn is around... Fourth, I am only going to read one statement that Ford wrote. He challenged the sanctuary. He challenged 1844. And he wrote, The center of the earthquake that came upon the church in 1980, however, is a doctrinal one. Please, see what he is saying. It is not an exegetical problem. He was an exegete, and he challenged 
our doctrine at the exegetical level. I am not ignoring that. But his evaluation is that at the center, this earthquake in Adventism is a doctrinal one, the gospel and the sanctuary. Now, the Pauline righteousness by faith. Now, he's saying Pauline righteousness by faith here, which basically means his understanding exegetically of the book of Romans. Well, that's not the way Adventists think. We understand every part of the Bible in the context of every part of the Bible. And so we do not go only to one verse in the Bible and to one book in the Bible to develop our beliefs in righteousness by faith. That's not. It is a possibility. You can do that. Evangelicals do that. Exegetical scholars do that. But the Adventist church has to be systematic and apply the coherence, discover the coherence of the entire Bible. Be it as it may. He says, Pauline, Pauline, righteousness by faith is the technical term for justification alone, that Christ's human nature was spiritually like that of Adam. Please uh, do not pay attention to that before the fall. And then, the believers have the verdict, the verdict of the last judgment at the moment they believe. You understood that? When you believe, you receive the final judgment. What do we believe? That it is at the end of our lives, through the uh, investigative judgment, when everything that we have done comes into the view for review regarding our loyalty with Christ, that the final decision is made. So, if you understand justification by faith, as Luther and Calvin, that at the moment of justification, which is what you believe, basically, when you are baptized, all your sins are forgiven. What do they mean? All the sins that you have made in the past, which is what Paul says in Roman, but they also believe that all the sins that you will commit in the future are also forgiven, and because of this complete forgiveness, that God has signed at the cross, you are saved. I have heard that preached. Sylvia was present. It was in a church 10 years ago, just with these words. And everybody was happy. I couldn't believe it, but it was there. Okay, let's we'll continue here. So what happens in here? Well, we have a denial of all the Adventist foundations and visions, and there is a new way of understanding things. Multiplicity of sources, which means they believe that the Bible and the tradition of the church. I am saying things that people that I know and that live in this town and in other parts of the world and are Adventists actually believe. And they have told these things clearly, and they will argue against me about me being wrong and they being right. So <laughs> this is out on the open. There is a multiplicity of gospel, but there is only one pillar. The pillar is the gospel, and then uh, what develops is an evangelical system of theology in the structure of Luther and Calvin or modifications of that, and then church and mission is going to be different, of course. So the forget forgetfulness and laziness and multiplicity of sources lead to a pillar of evangelicalism and the complete harmonious system of theology and philosophy becomes the evangelical system. The organization of the church is going to be changed and the mission to share the gospel is the gospel of the evangelicals. Now, there is another issue that appears, and this is the negation of the inspiration of the Bible. Uh, the negation of the inspiration of the Bible is expressed by who was my professor, Dr. Fritz Guy, that I am not going to read this because I am getting progressively out of time, but he suggests uh, in this uh, statement in a book that he uh, wrote and was published by Andrews University Press that there are poles, three poles 
on which we have to base our faith. The Christian gospel, which is justification by faith, which is our spiritual center, then our cultural context, which is where we live, worship, witness, and serve, and our Adventist heritage. So the Bible appears behind the gospel, and then we are going to develop what we believe by just integrated, integrating in the most cohesive way that we can the elements of these sources. By the way, uh, one of the issues that is coming uh, through this way of thinking is evolution. Remember that I taught to you about the issue of evolution. Evolution was condemned by our church in 204, 203, and then in 210 it was reaffirmed, but is embraced by La, by La Sierra and other universities together with the historical critical method that considered that the Bible is just the product of human tradition, basically. And this professor is, it was with another author, the champion in favor of evolution to be accepted in our church after the decisions of the church. He is convinced of that, and I respect him. But my point is, this is not Bible Adventism. He will say, well, but the Bible is wrong, it's a tradition, and it's not revealed from God. Okay, create your own church. Or I have to create my own church. Because... Actually, I talked to a person, it was not uh, this professor, but another one that was in those meetings, and he was the champion of evolution, I was the champion of creationism, and we arrived to an amicable conclusion. You, I told him, cannot be a member of this church. And he told me, and you cannot be a member of this church. And I said, you're right. One of the two has to be going out, but it is not coherent to have in the church People that teach opposite point. What about the students, the young people? Would you suppose that they are going to be uh, confused? Remember what I said my experience was? Everybody said the same thing. Nobody said creation is right, creation is wrong. Evolution is right, creation is right. That generates confusion. Okay. So this is the diagram of this position. Sorry, I didn't. When, when I get excited, I forget the, to move your slides. But this is the way in which the pillars are replaced. If you pay attention, and when you see this, go back to pantheism and Kellogg, it's exactly the same thing. Ultimately, evolution, acceptance of evolution, not only rejects the Bible, but also is bringing panentheism, philosophy, and a complete re-interpretation re, uh, of everything, which, by the way, is what the Roman Catholics are doing and did in uh, Vatican II, and specifically also what the emerging evangelical church also is doing. We continue to uh, copy the evangelicals because we believe that the evangelicals are based in the Bible. But I have news for you, evangelicals, those that are in the universities, those that are the leaders, those that are training the leaders, those that are changing and adapting to the world, the worship, those that are bringing the secular music, music into the worship, those do not believe anymore that the Bible is inspired. They don't believe that the system of Calvin and Luther are correct. As a summary, changes on in the interpretation of the pillars of Adventism develop first from the formative eschatological beginnings, the sanctuary as the key pillar, then it moved to 1888 to justification by faith, which was, was introduced in 1890. Pantheism was aborted by Ellen G. White. In 1960, the Adventist universities 
uh, were faced with issues of scholarship. I mean, face Adventism with scholarship. They faced scholarship. They didn't have all the tools, and they began to introduce the teachings of others into the church just to make sense of their own uh, beliefs. In 1980, there was the evangelical turn to justification by faith, which I think that is generally accepted by all. And then in the 2000 and 2010, the ground changes, culture replaces tradition, and the Adventists begin to incorporate evangelicals that have changed that do not believe anymore in the Bible. There are four schools of theology in our church that divide our church, biblical Adventism, evangelical Adventism, historical Adventism, and cultural Adventism. I have been talking about cultural Adventism at the end. I think that we, I, belong to biblical Adventism. But biblical Adventism is under siege and need to be rediscovered by this generation of young members. All of us should come back to the Bible and either be instruments in the re resurgement of the emerging remnant church that will be biblical Adventism and historical Adventism, but with a reinterpretation coming back to the re rediscovery and reapplication of the sanctuary as the vision of the church or the emerging church which basically are gathering together a lot of new leaders in the side of evangelical Adventism and postmodern Adventism. How to get out of this situation? Well, come tomorrow and I will help you with that. See you tomorrow. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we know that you have guided us. We know that the truth is in the scripture. We know that we have to be witness to that. We pray that you would descend, guiding your church around the world. You know that, and you should and are leading the church back to unity, and the way to unity is a way back to Christ through scriptures. Bring us to scripture and lead us providentially and through your Holy Spirit into all truth and to the application of the vision of biblical theology that you gave us to the pioneers and the rediscovery of the whole system of truth so that your spirit could be finally uh, given to the church, the latter reign, so that we can go forward to the finish all together in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.